morning, everyone. Welcome. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. We're still in chapter 8, lingering on verse 30. I have a question for you. And my purpose in asking this question is not simply for the sake of information nor recreation. It's not a throwaway question. Uh, It's not a game. And as I hope to show you, there is much, much at stake in how we answer this question. Are you ready? (laughs) So here, here it is. Does believing happen before or after someone is born again? Does believing happen before or after someone is born again? And, and the believing that I'm talking about is in relationship to Jesus. So does believing in Jesus happen before someone is born again? Or is believing in Jesus something that happens after someone is born again? It's a question of order. Um, it's a question about cause and result. So maybe I can ask it again a different way. Is new birth a result of believing in Jesus? Or is believing in Jesus a result of new birth? Let me try it another way. Just rotate it around. I'm going to get this worked in eventually. Does believing in Jesus cause new birth? Or does new birth cause or bring about or result in believing in in Jesus. Now see, the, the order is no small matter. The Apostle Paul was, I believe, quite intentional in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 with regards to the order of salvation. There's a particular order to God's saving acts. And this order, or this sequence, if you will, of God's saving acts is is utterly crucial in how someone actually becomes a Christian, and it's, it's therefore not something for us to mess with. The order of the links makes a difference between the load-bearing capacity of a chain made of paper. Remember, remember making those paper chains? And the load-bearing capacity of a chain made of gold. A lot of difference. And Romans 8, 29, and 30 is a golden chain. It has the capacity to engender assurance, to hold us up under the most extraordinary pressures. It is designed by God to bear the pressures of trials and perplexity and disequilibrium because of the experiences of life. It has the capacity to bear the weight of innocent suffering or the overload of frustrations incurred through natural calamities. I mean, just some of you 
can perhaps imagine, you know, your refrigerator dying and your car dying and your roof getting ruined because of a hailstorm and your car getting, you know, smashed by a fallen tree. All these things happen at once. What holds us up under those things? This chain can sustain a soul through public shame and embarrassment. And loved ones, this chain can even bear the unbearable, the unbearable heartache associated with the most tragic causes of death. So there's a lot at stake. And so here's the question again. Does believing happen before or after someone is born again? And what does the answer to this question have to do with supporting someone enduring the most difficult experiences of life? This is, this is where Paul helps us connect the dots. And so I want to invite you again to uh, stand if you're able and uh, as an expression of our regard and reverence of God's word and follow along. I'm going to read verses Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 28 through verse 30. Here's what Paul writes. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's soul-awakening, life-changing word. Let's, let's pray together. And so, Lord, we uh, bow before the authority of your word. We bow before the, the enormous load-bearing capacity of the promises and the, the doctrines of your word that establish foundations in our souls, that steady us, that instruct us, that shape us. Shape us now, we pray, for your glory. Shape us into the image of your glorious Son. Give us a taste of heaven. What it will be like on that day when we see Christ as he is and we are changed. Let rivers of living water flow from within us. Pray, O oh God, we pray, O oh God, that you would be glorified, be glorified today in our hearing, in our receiving, in our trusting, in our following you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I, I believe that the main point of Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, verses 29 and 30 is this, that, that God is the ultimate and decisive cause of salvation. Not us, 
We don't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Salvation is not an achievement of ours. Salvation is an achievement of God. And therefore, the answer to the question, does believing in Jesus happen before or after someone is born again, according to the Apostle Paul, is after. Happens after. Believing in Jesus happens after someone is born again. Believing in Jesus is a result of new birth. God's sovereign act of generating new life in one's soul is the cause of someone's believing in Jesus. And I want to show you where I get that, and then we'll explain why it's such a big deal. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and in particular this phrase, this is the phrase we're landing on today. Those whom he called, he also justified. So getting the meaning of these words is so crucial. And getting the meaning of the word called right makes all the difference. It is those whom he called that he also justified. Called in this context does not refer to God's general call. Paul's not using the word called here in reference to God's just his broad announcement of salvation in Christ to all people in all places for all times. Called in Romans 8 chapter chapter 8 verse 30 refers to God's soul awakening, spiritual life giving, spiritual sight-bringing call. It's what we sang about in that second song, which affected me very deeply this morning. A helpful illustration of the difference in these calls is 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, where Paul writes, we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block. To Jews and folly to Gentiles. That's, that would be God's general call. It's proclaiming Christ to all. And then there's verse 24. But to those who are called. So now we're talking about a different call. This is referring to God's effectual new birth generating call. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ. The power of God and the wisdom of God. So to be called in a 1 Corinthians 1.23 sense is to simply hear the words about Christ. We hear the words about Christ come to earth. We hear the word of, about Christ living a perfect, righteous life of obedience to God. We hear the word about Christ crucified as a sin-atoning, wrath-bearing substitute in the place of sinners. We hear the word about Christ risen from the dead as the singular emphasis that his laying down his life was and is a sacrifice acceptable to God. So to be called in that sense, in a 1 Corinthians 1.23 sense, is to hear all those assertions. We hear them and some hear them. In fact, many hear them. And, and, and they hear those assertions and they go, okay. But, eh, you know, not that big of a deal. 
They hear it and it affects them about as much as cooler weather in October in South Dakota. It's like, well, winter's right around the corner. You put away the lawnmower, get out the sweaters, you know, sleep a little longer. Or they hear it and they go, that is like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Seriously? Folly. That's folly. That's nonsense. It's fine for people who need that kind of thing, but for me, not so much. Cramps my style. But to be called in a 1 Corinthians 1.24 sense is to hear those very same words about Christ. And hearing those same assertions, there's a different effect. For those called in this sense, the response is, yes, yes, thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for pursuing me. Thank you, God, for lifting off for me the burden and the weight of guilt. I realize now how how I've minimized your worth. I realize how right you are about everything. And I realize how much I've blown it off. And you're inviting me? You're inviting me to your table? You're you're throwing a party for me? You would offer all that you are to me? It's better than a state championship. It's better than free Chick-fil-A for 10,000 years. The power and the wisdom of this, I think it's more amazing than a SpaceX trip to Mars. The glory in this, that is more astonishing than nonpartisan politics. How can it be that I should gain this? So Jesus, here I am. I'm all in. I'll take you and I'll take all of you. What's next? That's the meaning of cold in Romans 8.30. Those whom he called, God called like that, he also justified. Those whom God made alive like that, those whose spiritual eyes God opened, those whom God set free from spiritual enslavement, those whom he made new, All of them, whom he made new, he also justified. So what is justified? Paul spent a fair amount of ink in the first five chapters of this letter unpacking the wonder, blessing of God's justification of sinners. Justification is God's act of counting ungodly people As if they were righteous. Justification is a verdict. In Romans 4, 7 and 8, Paul writes, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Even though he sins. 
Justification is the act of God whereby he no longer counts our countless sins, past, present, and future, against us. And it is made possible through the saving work of Christ. The sins of all, of all those whom God foreknew, foreloved, and predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus were imputed to Jesus and punished in Jesus' body on the cross. And to those same people whom God foreknew, foreloved, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, Christ's perfect life lived in flawless obedience to God was imputed to them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, He, that is God, made Jesus, made Him, that's Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin? So in Him, in Him, in union with Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And this justification, it is an instantaneous act of God. It is a free and unmerited gift given on account of God's free and sovereign grace alone. And it happens, listen, it happens the moment a sinner, any sinner, responds to this gift through faith alone. In Christ alone. For the forgiveness of their sins. For the fulfillment of every promise that God has made, including the promise of eternal life. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd always obeyed. Loved ones... Jesus lived and died and rose again for the justification of everyone who turns and trusts in him by faith. And Romans 8.30 says, those whom he called, he also justified. So, So work out the sequence now, right? Sinners are justified. When? At the moment they turn and trust Jesus. And how is it that souls, souls that are utterly dead and unresponsive to God, blind to his glory, enslaved to sin, would turn and trust God? Well, they can once they have been made alive to God and had their eyes open to his glory and their souls set free from spiritual slavery. And how does that happen? It happens through the effectual, life-giving, sight-bringing, door-opening call of God. So listen, loved ones. Believing that saves, trusting that justifies, is a, is a believing, it's a trusting that involves a, a profound change of heart. It's a change of heart that requires a miracle. The miracle of God. The miracle of God calling into being a heart made new. And Luke describes how it happens in several cases in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16 verses 13 and 14. 
On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods. <laughs> a USF fan. Uh, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So, Lydia heard the word about Christ. And when she heard it, she paid attention. And she believed. So, did Lydia believe and then experience the creation of a new heart? According to Dr. Luke, it was the Lord who opened her heart. And then as a result, she paid attention in a different way. God called into being an open, living, seeing, responsive heart. A heart made new. And Lydia responded. That's because those whom God calls, he also justifies. Listen to Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, the, the, the life here is eternal life. The life is justification. And the Gentiles are justified by grace through repentance and faith. But what happened before they repented? What had to happen before they would repent? God's granting had to happen. God granted the repenting and the believing that led to their justified life. And that's because those whom God calls, he also justifies. Look at Acts 14, 27. When they arrived, they declared all that God had done with them and how he, that is God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So, so Paul and Barnabas, they had just seen some astonishing response to the gospel as they preached the word of Christ. And this response they saw happening among the Gentiles so remarkably, was because God had opened a door of faith. A door of believing. And that's because those whom God called, he also justified. So, does believing happen before or after someone is born again? And I say after. I, I say after because I believe... That's Paul's explanation for how someone becomes a Christian. God has chosen them in Christ before the foundation of the world. God has chosen them before they'd done anything in which they could boast in self-righteousness, self-confidence, self-justification, self-atonement, self-salvation. God foreknew them, predestined them before the foundation of the world so that he would get all the glory in saving them. And in foreknowing them, that is for loving them, he also destined them before they were born to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
And since by nature we are all born sinners, dead to God, blind to the power and the wisdom of God in Christ, those whom God predestined, he also called. They couldn't free their dead souls, enslaved souls, open their blind eyes. They couldn't do that. And so he called them effectually out of darkness into his light. He called them from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. He called them from spiritual death to spiritual life. And those whom he called, he made new. And being made new, those who tasted the sweetness of such a great salvation turned from the folly of their sin and they turned from the folly and the false hopes held out by sin and they turned from their old slave master Satan and they trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and for the unparalleled joy of being counted by God as holy and blameless in his sight. And loved ones, to each and every one of you who by the power of the grace of God turns to Christ and trusts Christ and takes hold of Christ, follows Christ, God counts you justified, holy, righteous, blameless in His sight today. Or to say it another way, Believing can't happen until someone is born again. Why this is so important, why is it so important that Paul would, would include it in this so-called golden chain of Romans 8, 29, and 30? Why, why does it even matter? Does it just muddy the water? Why does it matter when we believe and when God acts? Who cares? God cares. That's the main point of Romans 8, 29 and 30. That it is God who is the ultimate and decisive cause of salvation. And why does that matter? Well, it's the whole point of everything. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 13, 14. 
In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You hear that refrain? God is the ultimate and decisive cause of salvation for one reason. One end, one purpose, the praise of His glory. On the last day, when we all stand before God along with every other human being, he, all He's going to need to do is ask us three questions. He won't even need to quote Scripture. Wasn't it plain in nature? The change of these seasons. He saw my paintbrush on the trees. Wasn't it plain that everything that you had was a gift and that you were dependent on your maker for life and breath and everything? Wasn't that plain? Second question. When people wronged you and hurt you, didn't the impulse in your own heart to hold them accountable for their guilt and demand that they atone for their sin tell you? Didn't that tell you that there's a moral standard stamped on your soul? Third question. Has your life been filled with gratitude and trust toward me in, in, just in proportion to my kindness and my generosity and my wisdom and my authority case closed loved ones we need a savior we need a savior and God in Christ is the only one there is so why does the order of salvation matter. Who cares if believing in Jesus happens before or after new birth? Well, we should care. We should. How many times have you heard just believe in Jesus and you will be born again? Just pray this prayer after me and you will be born again. Just confess your sins, be baptized, and then you will be born again. Listen, words matter. And those words are misleading. Millions of people agree with the truths of Christian doctrine, but have not been made new. Even demons believe the truth of Christian doctrine. And they tremble at it. Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because not everyone who believes has been made new. We should care if we get this right. We should. 
Now listen, make no mistake about this. Believing in Jesus, that is our act. It's something that we do. But believing in Jesus is an act that is made possible by God's act. God's act of calling into being hearts made new, hearts made alive, hearts made responsive to the glory and the power and the wisdom of God's saving work in Christ. If our believing, if our trusting and turning and taking Christ for all that he is is not a result of God's generating new life within, then all we have is something that we said or indicated instead of all that God did. Which foundation would you rather stand on? How would you like your chain to be constructed? Of what material? The, the, the golden chain of Romans 8, 29 and 30 matters. The order of salvation matters. It serves as the foundation of God's praise. It serves as the foundation for our sanctification, our change of life. Look at these verses again. 28, I'm sorry, 29 and 30. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the aim is to be made like Jesus. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He made to be like Jesus. So to be glorified by God with a body like Jesus on the last day depends on being justified by God. And being justified by God depends on being called by God. And being called by God depends on being predestined by God to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It matters. Those who make a mere profession of believing but have not been made new have a missing link in the chain of gold. How can they make progress in becoming more and more like Jesus unless they've been called to newness of life? One last thing, the order of salvation is the foundation for assurance of salvation. If, if new birth were based on our believing, well then how would we ever know if we were believing enough? It'd always be about us and whether we feel like we're believing. If new birth were, new birth were based on our believing and then, and then came tribulation and then came distress and then came persecution and then came natural disasters and then came shame and public embarrassment and then came Danger, and then came death. How could we stand firm if the basis of our faith was nothing more than our faith? 
But we have a firmer foundation. We have a golden chain. And by that chain of God's sovereign and God's saving grace, by that chain of God's calling and God's sin-atoning sacrifice, by that chain we are sure we are held secure in His grace. There is nothing flimsy about that. Because there's nothing human in that. It is the merits. It is all based on the merits of a great high priest. The Lord Jesus himself on which is built our hope and our peace. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. This is the hope on which we stand. Let's pray together. You've made a promise, Lord, in your word that... It's to this, this one that you look. It's to this heart, this disposition that you give your full attention to those who are humble and contrite and tremble at your word. And this golden chain And what it says and what it implies, it causes us to tremble. That kind of humility doesn't just sort of appear out of thin air. That kind of disposition isn't generated by us pulling up our own bootstraps. That is a response to seeing something that is incredible. So, in this moment, we look to you, depending on you, calling on you, entrusting ourselves to you to help us to see. To help us to sense. To help us to behold rightly. All that you have done. All that you have done to make a people your own. All that you have done to make us new. All that you have done to make us right with you. And we would ask, O Lord, that the outcome of that would be a people who know things with confidence, a people who stand firm and courageous, a people not blown around by every wind of circumstance or situation or doctrine, but a people that are solid in you. Lord, in these times, we need this. We need to be tethered to something. So we look to you to impart this by your grace and your kindness We're trusting that your promise is true. All who call upon the name of the Lord will experience your salvation. Be glorified, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.